As always, let me acknowledge what an honor and a privilege it is to me to stand before you with God's word between us. In this uh, season of, uh, of bright decorations, uh, I, was, I was just noticing what a, a plain place this is. And it occurred to me, even as I was noticing how plain this room is, that we really, uh, we only have the glory of the Lord our God. We only have the glory of his word to, to decorate the presence of his church. And, and for that, I'm very thankful uh, that, that the Lord has provided for us this place to, to worship him and to, uh, to worship him in this very, very joyous season that we call Christmas. There seems to be a, a, a whole sect of, of people that, that really want to rob us of our joy. And, and they endeavor to, to do this by depriving us, uh, would try to deprive us of those occasions that we find to celebrate. And you can fill in the blank, uh, you know, the, the ones that are the most likely to get this treatment, but, but one of them is Christmas. Um, and, and so they say, they say that, uh, that Christmas is just a substitute or even a continuation of, of a pagan cult, uh, a pagan cult of uh, time of uh, worship for the winter solstice, which ain't de December 25th anyway. But they were all about sun worship, right? And it was that the, the sun was, was dying, right? And they, so they had this very morbid kind of uh, cult uh, as the winter solstice and the sun dying. But that ain't got nothing to do with Christmas. Christmas has been a celebration. Christmas has been an occasion for Christians to celebrate Sun worship. And so it has been from the very beginning. We have some questions that we'll consider at the close of the preaching. I put them to you that uh, you might find occasion to be an encouragement to others, a glory to the Lord in responding to these questions. Why did the Magi travel to Bethlehem? I'll, I'll, I'll try to help you. Uh, to, to get that one right. Uh, you'll have to listen, though. And why do we worship Jesus? And finally, what did you get for Christmas? This is the most important question. And if you got something really good, we want to hear about it. So uh, keep in mind those three questions uh, as we consider the scriptures this morning. No real sermon. Um, the, uh, the elders kind of struggled with each other on who would get to preach today. And uh, uh, I won. 
<laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and so uh, I'm deeply indebted to uh, uh, R.C. Sproul uh, in preparation for, for today's message, and, and somewhat to John MacArthur, uh, except I really didn't understand John MacArthur, so it's uh, not, not him so much. But uh, so we just want to take a few minutes this morning uh, to, to look at some travelers, some travelers uh, experience one Christmas a long, long time ago. We read this morning from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, a rather long text, but I'm going to read it anyway. Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 18, a text you're, you're no doubt familiar with, but look at it this morning maybe for the first time. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Judah, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we, his, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judah, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring, my, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by, by night and departed for, to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that 
he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud, loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Well, quite the drama. Much as, as any drama we might encounter in any other context, filled with interesting characters, enthralling events, mystery, intrigue, evil, and love. Quite the story. The Magi, the wise men. So characterized by the ESV, speaks of them as wise men, and so they were. We're told that, that they were uh, astronomers. And I, I like the word astronomers rather than astrologers uh, because they truly found significant meaning in looking at the stars. And I very reluctantly have to say that they probably observed a winter solstice uh, by, by looking at the stars. But very importantly, and of course in uh, uh, agricultural uh, society, it's important to know the change of the season, seasons and, and what to expect weather-wise. And so uh, these, uh, these wise men, these magi, these astronomers, they watched the stars to discern meaning, to discern important events to drive their calendar to determine the seasons. They were, they were scientists. They were, they were wise men who were able to see things that perhaps others did not see. And then it seems on a particular occasion, as they're watching the stars, and by the way, there's undoubtedly a whole lot more than three, a lot more. Uh, these, these were, uh, 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 some have called them a tribe, uh, perhaps more, uh, more appropriately a sect, uh, a group of people uh, who, who were bo both, uh, well, scientists, uh, priests, philosophers, and politicians, and they were they were very very powerful in uh, in their uh, own land, uh, the, the area of Persia, uh, Babylon, uh, the area we know is, is Iran today, and uh, eastern Iraq, the Tigris Euphrates confluence. Love that word, confluence. It's uh. Uh, so that's, that's where they came from, and in that region, of course, they, were, uh, they had been a powerful sect in that area for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. They had been powerful during the time of Nebuchadnezzar, 
right? Remember the, the Babylonian captivity when the Jews were, were carried off, uh, imprisoned in, not imprisoned, but captive in Babylon. Uh, you know the prophet Daniel? Uh, he, was, uh, he was actually called, uh, at one time, he was appointed the chief of the Magi. And uh, he, was, uh, he was noted as a, uh, likewise, uh, this, uh, this type of wise man. But, but he was a part of this sect to some degree. Uh, so, so they were um, a, a very, a very powerful, very important group of people in that, that part of the world in that day. And, and, and as they, they, they saw on this singular occasion a star, a star that was like, like no other, a star that appeared to them to have some very specific, very particular meaning. To them, this was a star that had an appeal about it. This was a star that seemed to be drawing them, a star that compelled them. And so, in seeing into the heavens and being mightily awed by what they saw, being inspired by the drawing, leading, compelling nature of this singular event, they undertook to make a long, dangerous journey, seeking to know, seeking to learn the meaning of this star. For in their understanding, this kind of star was significant in proclaiming the birth of a king. And so they traveled seeking a king. Following the star, they arrive in the area of Palestine. And as they are seeking a newborn king, they of course inquired at the palace inquired at the palace of, of the reigning king. And they were received at court. This is indicative of just their import and their power. You don't, uh, you don't go down to the king's palace and say, I'm looking for directions here, and, uh, and get led in for the king to you know, show you the way. Uh, no, these, these were people who would be received at court anywhere. These were, these were perhaps not kings themselves, but they had been called kingmakers. And so it was that King Herod, a king by name himself, was willing to entertain those who were considered to be of a, an equal status with him, being received at court. They were wealthy. Their wealth establishing their status by their, their means of travel. I have no objection to showing the wise men on the camels. 
I think it's pretty likely they had some camels. I think it's pretty likely they had some donkeys. They may have had a Rolls Royce or two. But they traveled in style. And they brought gifts, expensive gifts. And significantly, interestingly enough, as I said, these people came from, from Babylon, from Persia. They are Gentiles. They are not Jews. And they have come seeking the king of the Jews. And they come to Jerusalem to the palace of another Gentile, Herod. This king, Herod, is the one popularly known as Herod the Great. And by the way, this is the point where the music changed to a minor key. No, 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 no. Right? Herod the Great. Right? This is one of the biggest slime balls in all of Scripture. This guy is disgusting. He is, first of all, he's not a real king at all. He is an appointee. So, so he's a king because Rome, because the Caesars, Rome, lets him call himself a king. If they say, no, you're not a king anymore, you're now a, a governor, or maybe you're not even a governor. Maybe you're just a nobody. That would be it. So the extent of his kingship is the extent to which Rome lets, them, lets him call himself a king. He is a puppet, a puppet of Rome. Now he has the reign over a very significant territory. He has certainly Judea, Jerusalem, Judea around, Samaria, Galilee, and actually a good deal more that he's in charge of for the Romans. And, and the Romans like having him there and letting him call himself a king because he keeps the peace. He doesn't let anybody cause trouble. You, you look like you're, you're, uh, you're going to cause some trouble, you're going to raise some problems, you're out of there. That's it. Herod brokes no controversy. He's a builder. He built a lot of stuff. But most significantly to our understanding, he built the temple, the temple in Jerusalem. It was Herod the Great that built that temple where Jesus and the disciples went and Jesus taught in the temple court. It was Herod the Great that built the temple that Jesus pointed to. Uh, it was G Herod the Great that built this temple. This, this disgusting slime bowl a murderer, a thief, undoubtedly an adulterer. He had his wife murdered. 
conniving, treacherous liar. When the wise men arrive at court, he tells them, come back and tell me where this child who's been born king of the Jews, come back and tell me where he is so I can worship him too. Liar, liar. He has no intentions. He has killed his own sons to protect his throne. Isn't, isn't it irony? I usually don't find irony. Mostly I'm not sure what irony is. But isn't it irony that Herod built that temple where Jesus would walk and proclaim the good news of the coming of the Son of God? I think that's irony. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They had come a long way. It was not a short drive. They had been on the road for a good long while. It would seem that at this point Jesus was about two years old or maybe a little less. So there's a chance, there's a chance that they could have been traveling for as long as two years. Uh, not necessarily, but a long journey nonetheless. A long journey that they had been following this star, where the star was leading them, where the star was guiding, with this sense that this was a, a, a singular event pointing to the birth of a king, and they were following this, seeking to come and worship this king. And when they saw the star, right over the place where the child was. This is it. This is it. Journey's end. We have arrived. And here in this house is the king that we have come to worship. And they rejoiced. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. This baby, this, this toddler, how old are the boys, Christina? Exactly. Now, I don't want to compare them to Jesus. But at least it's the right size. 
And so this toddler in this house, and they worship him. How, how is it? How is it that this child is worthy of worship? And what does it mean to be worthy of worship? Well, as we've already described, these magi, these, these wise men, were, were descendants of those who had studied with Daniel. They were descendants of those who were familiar with Daniel and, and his prophecies, his, his dreams, his interpretation of dreams, his understanding of events in the heavens. These are descendants of men who, who were familiar with Ezekiel, the prophet. And these are men who are familiar with God's word. For the Jews in captivity in Babylon had taken their scriptures with them. And the people of Babylon, and specifically this sect of the Magi, had the Old Testament. And they had the prophet Isaiah who wrote in what we have is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and following. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And they saw the child and they fell down and worshiped him because he was worthy of worship, because God's word said he was worthy of worship. They were believers. They believed that God was keeping his word. They knew this child was worthy of worship because God's word said so. They worship him because he is God incarnate. They worship him because he is God become man. Well, as I said, this is, uh, this is good drama. And we see here how repeatedly throughout this text that I read this morning, it speaks of prophecy fulfilled. Pointedly and specifically, both in verse 5, verse 15, and verse 17. Emphasizing that in these events, first of all, God's foreknowledge. 
God knew all of this was going to happen. Way before any of this ever took place. And God said so. His prophets talked about these events. So this emphasizes God's foreknowledge, but it's also emphasizing that God is accomplishing what had been all along his predetermined purpose. Now everybody that knows Preacher Bill knows where I'm headed. This is all about emphasizing God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty over everything, over all events and circumstances, times, people, and places. With God there is no caprice, no serendipity, no chance, no luck. In this chain of events, with all the astronomical anomalies, the angels, the dreams, it is God orchestrating events according to His divine, sovereign will. Even Herod was far more God's than Rome's puppet. And for all of us who look to God in faith, this is great comfort. And so it was the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, could write in Romans chapter 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Then opening their treasures, then opening their treasures, they offered Him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They came to worship. And they worshipped Him with gifts. They worshipped Him with very real, very practical, very useful gifts. It wasn't the thought that counted. They came with real stuff. They worshipped with gifts that served the King. Gold to provide for his royal needs. They worship with gifts worthy of a priest. Frankincense. An incense that was representative of the people's prayers coming before God as a sweet savor. And myrrh, 
the balm for anointing the dead. Rich gifts. Gifts of great value. But I dare say they received more than they gave. For they worshiped in the presence of God the Son. They, the, these wise men, they set an example of worship. They set an example of worship in spirit and in truth. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. He alone is worthy, Christ the Lord. Gloria in excelsis Deo, to him be glory forever.